Don't forget to check out the Bentonhausen 100 at the Illinois State Fairgrounds in Springfield, Illinois, presented by Fatheads Eyewear. We'd love to see you out there Sunday, October 18th. This is Danny Drynan. I'm Shane Tecklenburg, and this is The Skinny. From Fathead Studios in Speedway, Indiana, this is The Skinny. Once again, welcome to The Skinny. We have a couple of great guests that will join us here today. Ken Stout, Rico Elmore, and of course the lovely Georgia Hanaberry sitting between. She is the rose between the two thorns that we will have with us here today. A name that you might not have heard of in a while, Danny Drynan, has joined us here. Great to have him inside the studio. Actually has his business, Drynan Industries, here located uh, pretty close to us here in Speedway. And then another name that, if you're in the industry, you would certainly know. But if you're not in the industry, certainly not a household name. His name is Shane Tecklenburg, one of the guys that's behind the scenes more times than not with any team that you may see. But uh, we could pick out a subject if you want, and we could talk about just a couple of his accomplishments. And this is just uh, a couple of quick ones here. Oh, hold on a minute. Is that last one tuning Ken's car for nothing? Uh, no, that was Paul Yaw. By oh, okay. Way, but, All right. uh, he introduced enough. me to Paul Yaw. So again, without Shane, I mean, none of it ever happens. He's in charge of the entire motorsports world from time to time. But yeah, great to have both of you guys with us. Thanks for making the time. Thanks, guys, for having us. Yeah, thanks for the invite. Man, I got excited for a second there. You said there were some really important people going to be on, and I thought, who else are they going to have <laughs> like on this, here? When are they getting here, right? <laughs> I can't wait to meet them. It's the astronaut over your shoulder. He'll talk in a minute. Ken so, said that was your dad, actually. Yeah, yep. He's, uh, that's we, how we preserved him, so it's nice to have him here. <laughs> I always point out the fighter jet. Yeah, yeah. He was uh, one of the first classes to go through jet fighter pilot training in the Air Force in the 50s. So Wow. One of the one of the coolest stories, and I'll make it quick, was, you know, they would fly in and they would they would call in the approach, right? Well, it, so it's the fifties, and my dad calls in. My dad was a captain by the time he came out, but he calls in, you know, Elmore and Jaeger on approach. Well, they land, and there's about I don't know about five hundred people waiting on Chuck Jaeger to get out of the plane, but it was Bill Jaeger. <laughs> That was flying with my dad. <laughs> like, you're not Chuck Yeager. He's like, no, this is Bill. Dude, I don't, I don't, you don't need to mention that. I think it's way better if you say, yeah, my dad flew with Yeager, man. <laughs> yeah, good stuff. So as it turns out, I've known Shane for a number of years. He helped us out with our race team. Uh, I guess it was back probably around 2012 or so, uh, 13, somewhere in that general area. So we've been buddies, you know, ever since and uh, kind of keep up with some of the stuff that he's done. Countless, countless, countless world records, be it drag racing or on the salt whatever the case may be, and was part of the Speed Demon team. And they set a record here this year in the Salt as the fastest piston-powered car on the planet. And then, as it turns out, he says, he says, do you know a guy by the name of Danny Drynan? And I said, why do I know that name? I know that that name is so familiar, but I can't connect it to a discipline, and I, I don't know why, just off the top of my head. And he said, well, he ran a bunch of sprint car stuff and ran some Indy car stuff. I'm like, oh, yeah, absolutely, okay, makes sense. So it turns out that Danny Drynan is also on the Speed Demon team. I'm like, oh, I had no clue. So we just got to chatting about it. But congratulations to both of you guys on, on quite an accomplishment on the salt here this year. You know, it's a result of really a bunch of brilliant minds together. You know, nobody, nobody, a single person made the difference, but everybody putting their heads together brought it about this year. It's, it's several years worth of evolution because they had a, you know, they had a car before this, the, the old Speed Demon, and that car was fast, and they set lots of records with that car, too, before I ever was involved with them. Um, and then that car crashed in 2014, I think. Yeah. The first time you do it, you can always think of ways to do it better next time. 
So that's kind of how this car came to be. And I mean, we just keep making it better every year. And it's, it's a group of people that all have, that are all basically experts in some area, even though we all race in different disciplines, but everybody brings something to the table and there's a level of respect that's given. That's like when you step in the door, it's not like, so there's no, there's no big arguments about what to do with this or that. It's always like, you know, somebody has an expertise in a certain area. It's like, well, what do we do to fix this? And somebody knows cause they, that's what they do. So it's, it accelerates really fast as far as development goes. So that's, that's why it's able to do what it's, what it's able to do. It takes run after run to really see how those, sure. those systems are going to affect things, you know, and a lot of times you put a safety in place to make sure something <clears throat> catastrophic doesn't happen, but that, uh, enabling that action can bring about another problem. And, you know, uh, as many times as you try to put safe fail safes in place, um, they bring about something that you didn't expect. And that was, you know, a lot of what we went through in the first couple of runs. Might as well throw our friends at Lucas Oil a little love because they sponsored this, this car as well. So heavily involved. Absolutely. All the lubricants on the car are for us by Lucas. And I mean, we have custom stuff for that car, for that application that Tom brews for us to use and, some of it's in a, like, try this, try this, and try this, and tell me which one's better. Some of it, we've already been through that process. But every single lubricant on that car comes from Lucas, and most of them are bespoke for that application. So here, let's watch the thing make a pass here. Flying. Right, so stop it. All of those speeds, you have mile two speed. That's really the average speed between the first mile and the second mile. So in, in reality, I mean, that's your speed at the mile and a half. Two and a quarter is your speed be by looking at the time between the second mile and the two and a quarter mile marker. Your three mile speed is your average speed between two and three. Your four mile speed is your average speed between three and four. And your five mile speed is then your average between four and five. Exit speed is a 132-foot-long trap, speed trap, 132 feet before the fifth mile. Right, So your exit speed is what you're ending the mile at. You're entering the mile at something less than that, and the average over that distance is 469. So in this case, you might say it's 8 mile an hour less than 469. It enters at 461 at the end of the fourth mile. Exits at 477. Average ends up being 469,298. By the way, you qualify for your record return run. If you qualify... And you screw up on your record return run, you don't get the record, you start over qualifying. You don't get to try again to get the record. You know, and this, this actually kind of goes back to NHRA. I mean, I don't, know, I don't remember when they actually changed the rule, but you, know, you used to have to back up your record within 1%. I mean, that was forever and ever and ever. <laughs> and just a few years ago, they finally said, okay, listen, our timing system is solid enough now that the backup within 1% is always correct. The first time he did it is probably correct. Let's just go with the first time. So now you can set a record on, on your first effort if you are able to get over it under depending on ET or speed. But they clearly have not adjusted out on the salt. But you still, still have to back that up, don't rules. you? Don't no. you still have to back it up? You don't need a 1% backup You don't have now. to do that anymore. No more. Yeah. Once, no. One and done. It's, it, they've changed it. They've adapted it to the Facebook rule, which is if you do it once and you put enough qualifiers on it, this is the world's fastest blue Mustang with 28-inch tires on the back and tinted windows and a small block with twin turbos on alcohol and chrome three door injectors. Handles. Craigers. 
with one rusty spoke. Good job. Yes, yeah. that's good. I like that. But very, I mean, very it, technical. It, it's pretty amazing, uh, you know, all the parameters that you have to fall within to to make it all happen. And then, like you say, to have all of the issues, you know, when people don't know, unless you're out there on the salt with that team, knowing everything that they're fighting their way through. You know, you're you're at home and you're kind of paying attention. Oh man, it looks like they ran a pretty decent number. And then all of a sudden, you know, you see the four twenty nine, and it's like. All of a sudden, 469 is like, whoa, 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 man, you know, there's a spread, you know, you know that's it's, a pretty big window. What happened on the first one now, you know, when it looks like it's doing well? It's so hard to even qualify or, you know, to set a record that you don't often want to look the gift horse in the mouth if you qualify and say, eh, let's just not even go to impound. Let's try again to do because we think we can do better because you're you're just sort of asking for it, right? But there is some strategy involved in it where sometimes we do. Because here's the thing. If we go to impound, we're done for the day. We don't get to try again until tomorrow. The hardest part at the same time, though, is when you go into impound, all right, now you have some time to uh, go through the problems with the car, but you also have time to look at the data, okay? And the hardest decisions made are are done right then because you have to decide, all right, we – we, we, we saw this, we can change this, we can make these improvements, but at the same time, if you go too, too greedy, you could blow the second round and ruin the whole thing. So it's, it's a balancing game of sometimes you have to pull the reins back and say, look, you know, let's be comfortable with this. Let's make this little tiny improvement so we can verify what we just did instead of trying to go for broke. So it's tough. Yeah, there's a, a fair bit of strategy that goes into it, but at the end of the day, you know, we finally got almost everything right, and it ran that run that you had up there, that 477 exit, and 469 would then be, that's what it was termed, the 469 run, because that was the, the next qualifying run on our new two-day-old 439-mile-an-hour record. So we went 469 on our own 439 a day later when we fixed all the stuff that, was, that we thought was wrong. And then we are in impound, like Danny's saying, and we're looking at that going, oh, well, that's screwed up, and this is wrong, and that's not right. And so as we're fixing these things, and the concept of just it's fast, leave it alone, you can't, you can't leave it broken. Right. Like, we have to fix it, and when we fix it, we may overachieve and screw ourselves up when we fix it, right? I mean, he was part of the, guys, the group of guys that found the exhaust leak, you know, on the, on the one side of the engine, which was another reason why we weren't making the boost we were supposed to make. So when he finds the exhaust leak, I had already made a decision to go change the spring in one of the wastegates. There's a preload spring, and I thought, I'll even this thing up by turning one spring in. So once he found the leak, it's like, well, there's the problem. I need to go now undo the spring change I made <laughs> to put it back because now we fixed an exhaust leak. We don't know what we're going to get. And then it turned out what we got was way more than we expected. And on that last run, the, the fix had more effect. Yeah, than, we were leaking more than we thought we than, were. Than we thought we were. So what were you leaking? How much? What was <clears throat> so, the difference? So it made like, I, I want to say like 34 pounds of boost on the, that run that he just had up, that 477. And the next, the next morning, because we fixed the exhaust leak, it ran into the next safety, which was cutting the boost control off if it got to 38 pounds. So the entire way down the racetrack on that return run, it's going 38 pounds, shut the boost control off. 30 pounds, turn back on. 38 pounds, turn back off. Go down to 30, turn back on. All the way down, just like this. Like every every 2.4 seconds is cycling back and forth. And this is one thing that's really awesome about this whole team and having all of these kind of guys show up from different disciplines, different genres. Somebody says, you know what, why is Shane at the starting line? And when the car's at the other end of the track, we got to wait for him to come all the way from the starting line to get his laptop on the car and get the data out. We could be way faster at turning the car around if Shane was at the finish line instead. 
So Shane, from now on, you're going to be at the finish line in the finish line truck, which turned out to be completely rad because that thing comes by at that speed. Dude, it's like it's there's, like there's no nothing in my life I've ever seen when you're down there at that end and that thing goes by you. Hell, I'm just watching it on TV. No, nah, it doesn't do it justice. I just can't imagine anywhere like, I'd be standing close enough to watch it go by and hear it where I still feel safe knowing right. if something went wrong, you could be in the wrong it place and right there's through, no getting yeah. away from it. The closest you can get is a quarter mile to the side of the course. So we're a quarter mile away from wow. the car. But it sounds like a P-51 dive bomb in your ass. I mean, it's like... <laughs> I can't even... It's so awesome. Every time it happened, I'd be outside the truck. They'd be, get in, get in! We gotta go, we gotta go! <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah, sorry. Forgot for a second. It doesn't matter. You, if, it doesn't matter. You could have just heard it two hours earlier... And when it goes by again, it's like You're the first still time you ever heard it. Yeah, yeah. right. Send right. vibrations through. Yeah. Oh, my God. It's phenomenal. Oh, my goodness. I hope to get there one day to go see that. Oh, by all means. Like, if you are into cars in any way, shape, or form, you deserve to treat yourself to going to Bonneville at least one time in your we'll life. We'll take and our mobile studio. If there you go. You guys should do that. You know, there's one, one really amazing part of the whole Bonneville experience, and that I've been in motorsports most of my life, all right? And when you're at the racetrack... You know, people are friendly. They'll say hi, whatever, but they don't want you in their pits, per se. They don't want you looking at what they're doing. They don't want to tell you what they're doing. But when you go to Bonneville, it's a complete 180-degree spin. The people all but drag you into their pits to show you how they built it, how what they did, and, and it's just wow. a whole completely different mindset. It was really, really refreshing to be around a, a, a new group like that. How and many people you, did it take to make that happen? How many people were on the team? Ooh. 26? Yeah, as a bunch. Wow. Uh, all from different areas. Well, all from different in, areas. You know, and different some disciplines. Of them, and some of them from the shop that work on it on a continual basis during the rest of the year. And what, three or four or five of you guys that flew in just strictly for Bonneville. Yeah. Kenny is uh, the carbon Kenny. He's the, he's the genius of the carbon world. His brother Keith runs the Hendrix uh, f- fabrication shop. Um, so there's there's experts from every area coming out there to, to make so it all So carbon, carbon, yeah, I saw it on his stuff too, right? Yep. He's on that, yeah. Yep. Kenny Duttweiler, you guys mentioned him. Definitely. Yeah. The, the nice part is um, there's such a respect level. Like when it's time for an engine change or there's been a failure, we don't talk. We just, everybody knows what to get do, what to do and make it happen. Nobody worries about, oh, that's There's my no job. There's no finger pointing and, no. oh, they, you screwed that deal up or that's just, his fault. It's like everybody just like, we no, know why just, we're here. Stuff happens. How just do we go How do we go it. better? First of all, engine change stuff, they've got that down to a science with that car. I mean, it's like a drag car. It's like the only Bonneville car that's built like a drag race car. They can have the old one out and the new one in, and that means go from big to small block if you want or put the same kind of engine in. And they can have that done in, I think, an hour and five they did. Well, we, we, had, we had the motor change done the first day with going from the, the big motor to the next one up in the list in about 40 minutes, okay? And that's changing exhaust systems, wiring, everything for the, from the turbo attachments, everything that has to happen. Um, so it's, it's a pretty good system. Wow, that's a really good system. And then that's after amazing. they figured out they could fix the big block, they took that one took back, them back out, out again and put, and put the, the other motor back, back in. in it. Well, it's only 40 minutes, dude. What's the big deal? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and it's not hot this time. Yeah. <laughs> Right. We now are making a list because we can't remember next year what we were talking about that we needed to fix this year for next year. But right now, I think that list has 96 items on it. Some of them are really some related to the car. Some are, hey, we need this wrench. We need this tool. And some of them are, how do we run the car better? Let's let's look into why this is happening. You know, so again, we have a huge list. Everybody's ideas combined. Everyone that went sent some 
number of items to make better the team better as a whole. And so we got to work through that between now and you know when we when we go run again. What's the goal for next year? Uh, total when you go world domination. When, yeah. when, you, when you go 481, there's one number that screams at you immediately, and that for sure is the goal. In my mind, unless someone, because I mean, I don't know what the actual goal is. I know what my goal is. My, my goal is let's see if we can go 500. Now, for that's sure. not in line with what everybody else I mean, wants when to I do. Saw someone the 481, needs to tell me. I'm like, how do you right. go 481 and not say, uh, I think we can go 500? Well, right. if, and, and from Shay and I could probably back this up if you look at the data. There, there's a lot of areas we could still make improvements. Well, and clearly, we had a chance to talk before the show. Shane's, Shane's actually staying with me for a couple of days, so we were, we were chatting about it. And, and you're right. I mean, all the little things that have gone wrong. That if you make all of those right, you know, I mean, there's, there's big gains <laughs> yeah. there. Well, we have these alarms that come up that you know tell you if something's wrong with the car. So you know, you don't go make your record return run with a cylinder out because the dash is telling you, hey, number one cylinder's not running. And you can choose to do something about it or decide if it's lying or whatever you're going to do. So from time to time, when you power the car up, it will flag an alarm because it, it just crosses the corner of the thresholds as the system is booting up and it's not all the way up. So it did. They turned the car on for the record return run, and it had an alarm on the dash. And since I wasn't there, Kenny didn't know how to click. There's a button on the dash. It says, OK, alarm. If you just press that button, the alarm goes away. Everything's normal. But the alarm comes up, turns on all the warning lights. The warning lights have priority over the shift lights. So it's got the red warning lights flashing in George's face. And there's the in-car, you know, I mean, they told us about it. But the in-car afterwards, it's like so painful to watch because George's point, you know, you can't hear the audio, but you could tell what's going on. He's like, look at, look at the dash. Kenny leans over and he looks at it. And then Kenny goes like this. And George goes like this. and Silent movie. And, 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 <laughs> then, and then Kenny goes, ah, and he leans in and he tells George and you can just make out. He's like, just shift it on the shift light. Or, you know, just shift it on the rev limiter. So, okay, that's what he does. He runs it out, runs it into the rev limiter, lets it sit on the limiter, plugs it in the next gear, waits till it hits the limiter, plugs it in the next. So Sometimes he let it sit on the limiter quite a while. And make sure <laughs> I mean, it's there. And, and I can't take anything away from him. You tell him to put it on the rev limiter, and he does what he's told. So, I mean, it is what it is. It's back to, if I had been there, I could have fixed it if the alarm wasn't there which was part of me programming something beforehand and deciding it was going to be fine. That also uh, a part of the issue that, you know, you're on a five-mile course, you're at the finish line, and no radio communication because you're too far away? Yeah, we have a radio, but I don't think they even thought to get on the radio because they were starting the car to go make the run. And I think they just, instead of shutting the car off and saying, hang on. Instinct. It was like, hey, you know what, just shift it when it hits the rev limiter. So that run, from the time George comes off the truck, which I'll tell you another story about this too, but from the time George comes off the truck, goes full throttle until he pulls the chute is 69 and a half seconds, 60, 60 and a half seconds, full throttle, right? He's on the rev limiter for 13 and a half of those 60 seconds. So <laughs> we're not accelerating at the rate that we could accelerate had we not been on the rev limiter. So, th- so right off the bat, if you fix the silly things that happen with that run, my guess is we're going to go six seven mile an hour faster out the back. So it's going to go out the back at 486, 487. It's going to average probably two or three mile an hour, but go 472, 473 average without turning it up, really. You're just making it do what it's actually supposed to do. And if the turbo stayed at a steady boost, all of these things are going to be better, right? And then if you turn it up from there, I mean, we made a run earlier in the week that went about 428. It was at about two thirds full power. 
and we gained about a thousand horse with a thousand horsepower gain and it can't even say it was a full thousand because the boost is up and down up down but if you use the average of 34 that's about a thousand horsepower increase and we gained 60 miles an hour exit speed from that thousand horsepower we probably realistically without changing any hardware on the engine have another three or four hundred horsepower left and if we put a turbo on that can is more efficient for that size engine we could potentially have five or six hundred more horsepower left so with five or six hundred more horsepower assuming we went 486 out the back on that That's run 30 miles I mean, an hour right i'm not that good at the math but i'm guessing that that might be enough to go over 500 and then what you're looking for is 19 miles an hour so maybe there's enough to and if it's not then whatever i'm wrong i'm, I'm almost always wrong anyway so <laughs> it's, who cares? it's also relative to the, the the moisture content of the salt yeah we had salt an awesome really? awesome yeah. track this year it has so. to be good if the salt's good like it was this year or better i'm pretty sure we can do it now again you saw how hard it was just to do what we did this year how many 25 things are going to go wrong but Everything goes right and the salt's good. I'm pretty sure we can do it. I don't think we can average 500, but I definitely think we can exit at 500. So what do you look for in the salt? Well, it's the moisture content. You know, it was the driest it's been in quite a while out there because um, when it gets moist, it loses grip. Mm -hmm. uh, imagine that you're just running in slush in a sense. And the tires are round. There is no flat contact spot on the bottom of these tires. So the actual area that's touching the ground is maybe a half inch wide. Okay, so that on salt, which is not solid anyway, um, the, the traction, the available grip is so minuscule when you add moisture to it, it just gets horrible. So having dry salt is a big part of having the grip to go that fast. The thing makes thousands of pounds of downforce, but you have thousands of pounds of horsepower trying to rotate that round tire on a, on a no grip surface. So it's really important to have the grip of the, of the surface itself. So yeah. we're going. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Throwing it out there right now. August 7th through 13th, 2021. Block off on your calendar. You don't have to come for the whole week, but definitely come early in the week. <laughs> no, we got to be there for the we whole have, week. We'll have our mobile studio by then. Yeah. yeah. That's right. Thanks for the pressure, Georgia. Anyhow. <laughs> right? <laughs> What's the ride on that? I mean, I know that it's somewhat smooth, but. Well, this year is reasonably smooth, but there's other years where it's terribly, terribly rough. Um, and it, like the year Danny Thompson went for 48 or whatever he did, you could see him making corrections in the wheel that are like insane. And it's like, I, is he even moving? Cause of, nothing's vibrating or shaking around. And years before that, it's like, it's bumping and shaking around and it's crazy. And I can't even see how he could focus at all. I remember when Raleigh was still with USAC mm -hmm. and USAC used to time that. Am yep. I right by saying yes. that? Yeah, he actually, I ran into him at Kokomo a couple of weeks ago, sitting together, and he was talking about that part of it, that yeah. he used to really enjoy being out there and being part of USAC, taking care of it. I remember when he told me that, we, we were at some event, and he goes, yeah, he goes, I got to get out of here, I'm headed to Bonneville. I said, oh, cool, you going to check it out? He goes, no, we do the timing for it. So, yeah. And just to follow up really quickly, so just to, to for the fans that are listening listening in and uh, possibly watching. Shane is really the data acquisition guy. You are the computer guy. You pay attention to a lot. I mean, one of the guys and uh, pay attention to that end of it. Uh, Danny, I'm guessing you're a master fabricator guy. You're, what is, why did they bring you onto the well, team? It started off uh, when they went to build the new car. Um, Steve Watt, who sort of uh, is a leader of this whole ship, um, he owns Maxwell Industries. We've been friends for many years. And he said, look, he goes, uh, there's a bunch of systems that I need somebody to come out and build. Um, like the canopy on it is done very much like a jet fighter, okay? Um, I designed and built that stuff. There's a lot to do. Uh, I built 
a, ma a majority of the stuff in the cockpit control systems um, and many parts of, of the car all the way through. That was the fabrication end of things. But this year I kind of got asked to take on a different role. And part of it was maybe be a mediator or liaison between Shane and Kenny Duttweiler. Um, and through my experience in motorsports, um, I very respectfully uh, observed Shane and, and Kenny and what they were seeing data-wise and offered some sort of racer's advice on occasion. And uh, it was very difficult position to be put in at the last minute they called me and asked me to do it and i was like oh god you can't possibly ask me to go in between two of the best in the world and tell them w what to do and that Did you go and say you realize i'm divorced right i mean it didn't <laughs> work out that well for me <laughs> so so it, it was uh, it was a great challenge of mine to go out there and first of all earn their respect um and learn the system shane knows it like the back of his hand okay he he instantly can respond to anything he can see on the screen he's done it so long and he knows it so well it's it's really refreshing to work with somebody that knows their 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 whole program so well and i probably wore him out with questions for the first couple of days trying to uh pick his brain to see how he looked at things and i just was offering the racer's point of view on a lot of things. Um, they they know how to make big power, but a lot of times from a racer's perspective, it's about how to get to the to the finish line. And I I, I hope that some of my uh, inquiries will put it help uh, change things this year. Um, uh, look, I, I think I know what I know because I built it all on on logic. Maybe some of it is experience, but most of it's logic and you know physics. And but sometimes there's a, a gray area. And even just in explaining it to someone, you go, oh, wait a minute, it can't work that way. Just by having the words come out of your mouth and tell somebody, you go, oh, that doesn't, that can't be right. And now you rethink that. Now, all of a sudden, you straighten that little error out that you had in your thinking. And so, for me, so, I'm, I welcome having him. A lot, a lot of my inquiries, if you were, were when I would see something in the data, all right, he's got hundreds of channels of data to look at. And to try and uh, analyze all of that in, we have... 30 minutes okay is an enormous job but for him to try and have to do all of that and come up with suggestions for changes it's just truthfully asking too much of a guy so for me to be able to sit there and look at things and respectfully ask a question to maybe trigger something in his mind to steer him that direction i think our chemistry worked really well together well and, and you brought that up you brought that exact scenario up where you said you know instead of me trying to figure it all out myself the way we work on this team is I tell everybody what the problem is because somebody might locate the problem that has nothing to do with my end of it, and then I can go verify that what they said is correct. And you said that was exactly the scenario one time. There's 750 channels of data. Between me and Kenny, there's no way we we're, – we're falling down the wormhole of whatever the most obvious problem is with the car right now. And we're in the middle down here with our heads in the, in, you know, in the hole trying to figure out where the problem is. And someone standing back could look and go, hey, what's going on with the oil pressure right there? And then – I don't know. I can't even look there. I'm busy. I'm beyond the oil pressure. I'm way down here looking at this other problem. And they steer you back into the realm of, hey, what about this? And, oh, man, that's really what's wrong. We could fix it. And we, we yes. would have made another run and made a mistake. But we took one, one guy, found one thing that made it worth it. So, so let's talk about Danny Drynan for a moment. Uh, we'll, we'll go back in time and accomplish USAC racer, number of wins uh, inside of a midget and chasing a championship at, at one point. Matter of fact, it looked like you were going to win one. You've also Twice. attempted to, <laughs> Twice. to uh, qualify for the 500 and 
in both instances, things didn't go a little bit wrong. They went, they went pretty big wrong. Yeah, there's been a lot of bumps in the road all the way. You know? <laughs> um, back in 92, that was the first uh, picture we're seeing here on the, on the wall. A pressure move that I truly put on, that, that I put on myself, the pressure of winning the championship. It meant so much to me. I made a stupid mistake. I put a move on uh, Mahoney there going into the corner, which I never would have done or never should have done, and ran over his tire and, and about ended things for me. Um, but uh, it was gave me the drive to get back. I mean, that, that happened in August, and it separated my arm at the elbow, and it chopped my finger off, and it crushed the retina in my eye and broke my what? pelvis and made a mess of me. But in November, I was back in the race car. Oh, my God, and I, really? And I won the first heat race back in the car, um, trying to prove to myself that I hadn't lost it, which was not really true. Um, there was a, a lot of head injuries from that incident that took a couple of years to work through and uh, get my confidence and my, my, my game back. But uh, I think it was 94, Tony Stewart and I were having a very uh, active year, we'll call it. And there was quite a few incidents that he and I had together. Um, one at a dirt race down in Richmond, Indiana, where I led it till about two laps to go. And there was a restart and he went up through the infield and blasted me out of the way. So I went down to the next corner and punted him and parked him. <laughs> spirited, they call that. I think that's a spirited battle. You're getting spirit. a little sassy out there. <laughs> and... Uh, that had happened. I just couldn't see that in you. I mean, was, uh, <laughs> or Tony. I mean, well, either. remind me not to piss him off. <laughs> the, Don't piss him off. <laughs> so the most difficult part, and what changed my whole career, was what USAC's decision that followed this. Okay, I was sponsored by IWX. The owner of, of IWX came to me, and he had a whole plan laid out for me. That was going to be two years in USAC. Then I was going to run the NASCAR trucks, Bush Series, and, and Winston Cup. And I was the one that he chose to do it with. Well, the very next race after all this happened, there was two races in one weekend. One was Odessa, Missouri. The other was Kansas City. And he had already purchased 1,500 tickets for his employees and his best customers to come to these races. Well, they suspended me from them for the actions on the racetrack. And the owner of IWX, Steve Coulter, called uh, Caples was the the head of the ship at the time, he said, look, he goes, we're your own, your only corporate sponsor in this series, you know, have an understanding, suspend him from the next two races. I have all, all these people coming. Um, all this is in place. Nope. And Capel said, no, well, our decision's final. And so he called us and he fired us and he shut the race team down. And that whole plan for my life was over. And I can't, wow. I can't blame anybody than, than myself because I'm the, I was the driver. I made the, cho the changes, the choices, um, and it changed the direction of things. So then 96 came around when the IRL started. And I think it was their way to sort of make up for what, what they know they did with their decision. They came to me and said, look, if you can put a driver development program because you have background in the Indy cars. Um, we will, we'll get you in a ride if you can help get some other drivers through rookie orientation. So I called some friends of mine from Colorado and they brought a car down that was an ex Newman Haas car. Um, and I did my ROP thing in it first. And then I did Tice Carlson and I did Andy Michener, help those two guys get through. 
And then they had me set up to drive a car for Scandia. So I went down and got fit up for the car for Scandia. And the guys from Colorado came to me and they said, look, um, Carlson's asked us some, offered us some money to try and get him qualified for the 500, but he doesn't really have any seat time. Would you shake the car down and get it trimmed out for qualifying? I said, sure, no problem. You know, you guys help me get here. I'll do whatever. And I uh, was probably made a big mistake at that point. My mind was already thinking about the next car, the ride, and everything that was put in place. And I went down and I did about a six-lap run in the other car. It had a pretty big understeer. So I said, hey, let's take some tab off the rear wing. I said, I've got to get a balance in this thing. Well, the simple fact that I said it was a pretty big understeer, Normally, you change the rear wicker tab in 50,000 increments, okay, which doesn't sound like much, but it's tons of, of downforce and a big balance change in the car. Because I said big, they took off 100 thousandths. I didn't ask. They didn't say I went out of the pits and the first time by going into turn one, the car swapped ends, flipped upside down, crushed me up pretty bad. And So I, did it break your, your hip? It crushed my hip. I have three steel plates and 40 screws holding it together and one drill bit. Oh my gosh. Did they leave it in there? <laughs> Did they forget? When I, when I went in for the first uh, meeting with the doctor after the surgery, he's got all the, the, the uh, <laughs> x-rays up on the wall, right? He's like, look, here's the plates that we put in you, and here's the screws and blah, blah, blah. And I'm, I'm pretty good at understanding fabrication, sure. all right? <laughs> I said, well... That one there doesn't look like a screw. It's like, yeah, he goes, I broke a drill bit off in you, but it's stainless steel, so we just left it in there. (laughs) No worries. No. It'll be fine. Yeah. What could go wrong? I mean, there is good news in all of this, though. From that time period till now, if you're the guy that did the cockpit on Speed Demon and you're the same guy that put the battery in where you have to turn the car upside down to get it out, you've definitely (laughs) made some improvements in your engineering. (laughs) So there is light at the end of the tunnel for you after all, Danny. Baby Uh, steps. I appreciate that. That's that's one thing I've always known of Danny, and I mean, I've been around this a long, long time, and Rick Payne is a mutual great friend of ours that... uh, had bars here and still has bars in Indianapolis, always helped Danny out and, and, and to this day still speaks about you. You know, he, he came in and of course he's Hollywood, man. He's, he's got things moving and shaking as usual. And, uh, but, uh, you know, he comes in and we, we always, always share Danny's stories, but I mean, just some of the things that Danny would show up with at the track, you're like, man, what is that? And I'm telling you, he would go out and he would do, ama- I mean, amazing things with it. Rick was actually a big part of the very first uh, aero car that I built. Um, it was, I, I worked in the IndyCar industry for a long time. And I was like, I've had enough of this. I want to go off and pursue my career. So I didn't plan it really well. I rented a shop and I had a toolbox and that was about it, okay? So I started a fabrication business, and we used to go to Rick's Restaurant, McGilvery's, right up the street here for lunch every day. And we created a good friendship, but I was like, man, I want to build this new car. You know, is, is there any way you could help me out? Well, he went to this extreme. He's, he got a $5,000 loan for me. He goes, look, he goes, you got to make the payments, all right? He goes, if you don't make the payment, he goes, I'm going to kill you. <laughs> <laughs> but we always made the payments, but it was that $5,000 that gave me the capital to build that first car yeah. and, and get me going. It was, yeah. He's been a huge part of my life. Yeah, that's cool, man. Great, so great I think deal. in 16, when the Speed Demon 
the new Speed Demon got built, and we were going to go to Bonneville, and I didn't know you had anything to do with a car before that, but Steve's like, yeah, we're going to have, you know, Carved Kenny and his brother, Keith, and we'll have Drynan, and we'll have this, and I'm like, Drynan, Drynan, why do I, why do I know that name? Like, Drynan, like, Drynan who? Danny Drynan. Danny Drynan, like, I, it, that, the indie car guy? Because I remember you from that, when I was, like, I was like 20, like 20. When you ran Indy, oh, and, and I remembered, damn, Danny, how old are you? <laughs> Sorry, but still, it was like, really, you're going to bring that guy? Just I don't know. It's just something I always stuck. The name always stuck with me. And I think because you were a basically independent coming there to run, so you always go for the underdog. Yeah, oh, I appreciate that. There's, there's, you know, I had some couple other opportunities in '98. Um, the the Baker team called me and asked me if I'd run. And we missed the race by two thousandths of a second, uh, which was disappointing. And then I thought I finally got my golden grace. Um, I worked for Ron Hemelgarn, Hemelgarn Racing, um, for a couple years running his team before I started my business. And in two thousand, uh, Lee Koonsman called me up and he says, "Hey, because he uh, uh, Hemelgarn wants you to run the second car with Buddy." Well, they had just run the won the championship, and I thought, "Oh my God, this is this is the holy grail. I finally got the deal." But the unfortunate thing was it was the first year of the three-year cycle and the new cars were out and I got the one-year-old car and the new cars were six miles an hour faster and I was the only guy in a one-year-old car and we just didn't make it again but uh, how many people though have do you know that have ran an Indy yeah I mean that, I've, I've had that's all that, yeah I mean I've had opportunities that I feel blessed to have you know I didn't make the race but I've been able to do things that uh, very few guys get to chosen to do Robin Miller was in here set where Shane is which is is uh we we cut it to the PG uh version of Robin Miller <laughs> but uh he was talking about that he was talking about the the you know the guys that make it right or the guys that get to run that track and he's like He's like, you're in a, another group. You're in a whole nother program right there. And, and I, uh, you know, I, I remember that. I remember Buddy, and I had a, I had a guy that I used to race go-karts with that was on Buddy's team. And, and so I, I remember all that stuff. But, yeah, I mean, it's, it's, it's one of those things that, uh, you know, you wish you could have, would have. But, man, at the t- uh, you know, looking back, it's like, yeah, there's, there's not many people that get that opportunity to do some of that cool stuff. So. Talk to me a little bit about, uh, well, we'll stay focused on you for a moment, and we're going to flip over to, to Shane, who's a wild card. So uh, Drynan Industries, I'm going to give you a little bit of plug here and, and let people know what you're doing now, obviously with all of that history. But I kind of cruise through the website a little bit, and I see something called a combustor housing. I'm like, well, I don't know what the hell that is, but it looks pretty freaking cool. And then an aircraft carrier waste recovery to a Cosworth IndyCar exhaust, side pod oil tank for 65 gurney, and then stainless steel handrails and fencing. I'm like, well, that covers a gamut of. Hey, and don't for, <laughs> don't forget the mini air, uh, the mini wind tunnel too. And yeah. the mini wind tunnel, yeah, yeah, super cool. And then clearly you do a lot of uh, fabricating on on the speed demon and the cockpit and stuff. So I mean, it's a a wide variety of options that drain in industries that that you produce. We existed for quite a few years just building race cars and race car components. Okay. Um, from a business perspective, there was a lot of pride in it. Our cars won a lot of races. All right. And I found out I was really living off the pride 
rather than the dollars and cents of it. Um, unfortunately, the inter industry doesn't have very much of a profit margin in it. So then I finally took my eldest sister's advice and started looking other directions. And that's what sort of took us that the, you know, to the, the real world, if you will. Um, I still love motorsports, and I still have my fingers involved in it in many directions, including my son's stuff. But um, to make money at it is pretty tough these days compared to what we could what we can do in the real world. And speaking of your son, what's he running now? Where are you at? He he's a senior this year, and he wants to pursue an engineering career. He's and, a senior. Yeah. Wow. Is that amazing? Wow. And so now I remember coming to the shop. I mean, it's been a few yeah. years ago and seeing uh, the maybe the, the, the quarter, quarter midgets, midgets or something. And, and Danny's explaining to me how he's getting thrown out of the quarter midget races because <laughs> he's engineered around every one of their rules and has them all upset. And they're throwing his son out of these races, clearly. Well, you know, that was a big part of what. Who, what makes up me, all right? Right. When, when through the midget stuff, oh, yeah. sprint cars, everything, oh, yeah. was, all right, if this is your rule book, all right, exactly. that's, that's my guidelines. And if, if I can use my mentality to think of something that doesn't uh, offend right. these rules but uh, fits in them, so be it. So there's a lot of USAC rules that were written after the fact was something that we brought out. The drying and drying rule. And rule. Yeah. Another drying and oh, rule. Oh, it's, it's, it's absolutely <laughs> hilarious because, I'm, I mean, I know what he's talking about, but then him telling me, I mean, he was still at it with his son stuff. I'm like, okay, I get it. I'm, I get it. Well, so. the rule said. Yes, exactly. <laughs> tire, it, tires it, had to stick out two and a quarter inches outside of the body. So that's where they were, okay? Maybe the body's the body a little bigger. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well... We, it's about placing his body weight in the right location. So This now, is, goes back to the battery. Well, the, no, the, the thing that bothered <laughs> me with the whole quarter midget deal was, um, and it's been the, that way since I drove them a long sure. time ago, uh, the kids hang out the side. Okay, yep. To yep. me, it's a safety issue. Sure, there haven't been horrible things, but most every change in motorsports comes yeah. about when a horrible thing happens. So yeah. why don't we get ahead of it? So yeah. instead of having him hang out of the car, I completely offset the chassis so and laid him down like he was in an Indy car. So I had more left side weight percentage than what they had <laughs> hanging out, but he was completely contained. In so I think I killed two birds with one stone. I made a super safe package for my son, but I had something that was a little advantageous. It's funny that when the Swansons were on here, they were talking about their dad, Mike, that ran super modifieds. Uh, Mike Swanson, well, he, he told him, you're not running quarter midgets. And he said, I, I, you're, I'm not getting you out there on the track. You hanging your head out. And so it's yeah. the same. Yeah. Yeah. I, they made I, it I a don't... point to say that, too. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. You know, there's a huge group of diehards that want things to stay the way they've been forever. And I, I've been in, in that position at parts of my life. But I've always looked at something, you know, if you look at my career, it's about finding something that's a little better than what exists. Right. So, right. I know you don't have uh, anything cast in stone here, but uh, what any any upcoming really cool projects for you, Shane? Uh, I mean, really cool. I've got some stuff coming up. I, I was telling you guys earlier, I'm going to work on this IndyCar engine or something in a couple of weeks. It's an old '95 IndyCar, historic, whatever. Cosworth, you said. Yeah, Cosworth. Yeah, V8 turbo. Um, and other than some drag race stuff with some of the teams that I work with, that's coming up in November. Uh, it'll be whatever happens to fling by in the days between now and then. I mean, it's kind of like you guys. The schedule is 
you know, you kind of know you're going to be doing stuff at this time of the year, but you don't exactly know what, and you might have a clear schedule on Monday, and by Tuesday, you're booked for the month. So it's just kind of how it goes. But I do everything, you know, so... Uh, Porsche Club thing I do with some guys that uh, have a shop right down by where Pikes I live. Peak? Pikes, Peak. Pikes Peak. Pikes Peak was awesome. So I got. I always wanted to go to Pikes Peak, um, but I never wanted to go unless I thought I could go with a team that, and be successful. I didn't just want to go there and be an also ran basically. And not, not to interject, but you know the guys uh, that run Doll and Black. Yeah. Okay. Those are the. That's the same guys that brought the car here in '96 that I drove. Oh, really? That yeah. was the guy oh, from really? Colorado? Oh, really? Powers. Awesome okay. guys. And that, they did, that, actually did good that, to that car this well, year, Well, that they? actual car that I drove here at the Speedway won, won. won there. Yeah, that's awesome. Yeah. So there's the tie-in. Pikes Peak, at Pikes Peak is another thing just like Bonneville. It, there is, it is not just simply about the racing. It's about uh, the history, and there's something that affects you deep down when you go to that place, like, like seeing... Uh, Niagara Falls, or maybe going to this track. You guys got have this little track, this little oval over here. It's that same kind of feeling, a connection with something way bigger than what you are. For sure, yeah. Well above and beyond all the awesomeness of the racing. And Pikes Peak is the same way. You go there, and it just sort of... its I can't even describe it other than you just need to go so you can feel it for yourself. It's the same thing at Bonneville. I'll never forget my first experience. First of all, I drove up it in a, in a rental car, and at one point, I don't know, maybe... 11,000 feet or something, I have the rental car on the floorboard because it doesn't have any more power. It can barely go up. It has no air to breathe. I pull the car over, hop out of the car. It's a little brisk, of course. And I see this rock. You just got to go down this little valley and up over to this rock. And then I was going to be able to I see like a couple of yeah. turns more. You know, it's just going to give me a better vantage point. I'll be able to sit down. It's going to be awesome. I'm excited, man. I'm excited. So I start over towards this rock and I get like, up to the top of the first little knoll. I mean, we're talking like, I don't know, maybe it's 50 yards away or something like that. And by now, I can hardly breathe. I can hardly walk. And I see that rock where I want to go. I'm like, yep, that's never happening. Not going to happen. But I was blown away at just how difficult it was to function and do anything because there's just quite literally no air to be had. You notice it right away. I mean, man, even without even hardly exerting anything, when you go to the top of that place and go to the, the like the gift shop, and you park the car, like you're saying, and walk 50 feet, and you're winded, and by the way, you're dizzy, and it's like, what's going on? And all you've done is walk across a parking lot 50 feet. Yeah, so it's that's obviously that's the exciting part of the challenge for me to tune the engine and make it run like it's supposed to. And the car that I was working, or the team that I was working with, had turbos on a Porsche and unfortunately we crashed out both of the last two years that we tried to go up there um, which you know that's that's a completely different story and it sucks but the the mere fact of being there and experiencing I can't wait to go back and I hope they want to rebuild the car again for the third time so we can go because it's awesome and they are a team who is like the Speed Demon team motivated to do what it takes to win and that's what I want to be a part of I want to you it was strange like when you started talking about the motor not having enough air. I instantly was thinking about what it was going to do with the driver up there. You're thinking off the motor. <laughs> Absolutely. I'm an engine guy. The driver is the driver guy, yeah. But uh, a fabricator, of course, but still from a driver's point perspective, of view. Perspective, yeah. yeah. In my perspective, all right, and I'm not afraid of heights, but the thought of doing what I do on a racetrack doesn't bother me at all. But to, to not know what the next corner really is like or how far down it is, uh, uh, that's beyond my uh, courage, we'll say. Well, yeah. That's why I don't drive either. It's well beyond my courage to do any of that. <laughs>
way easier stuff. to look at squiggly lines and go, oh, we need more power <laughs> here, or you need to hold the throttle open longer there than it is to actually Why be did the poor guy in there doing it. Yeah, yeah exactly. <laughs> well, once again, thanks for taking the time, fellas, to come out here. Great, great stuff. I know uh, the stories are just, just scratching the surface with both of you, but we'll get you both back on here at some point in time. we got to get you and Paul on here at one point, and maybe we get the two of you guys and, and get Kenny Duttweiler on here and there we go. let him tell some stories, and George and uh, and just dig a little bit deeper, but awesome stuff. And uh, again, thank you so much for coming on here. Thanks for the insight behind the teams, and it's just all great stuff, man. Thanks for having us, man. It's been a blast. Like I said, so anytime, anytime there's an opportunity to do it again, I'm I'm game. Cool, man. I'll buy you a beer. Ooh, sounds like a plan. Carl, thanks, buddy. Don't forget to check out the Bentonhausen 100 at the Illinois State Fairgrounds in Springfield, Illinois, presented by Fathead's Eyewear. We'd love to see you out there Sunday, October 18th. Be sure to check out all the latest sun and optical eyewear at fatheads.com. Special thanks to our sponsorship partners at Elliott's Custom Trailers and Carts. To watch the video versions of all of our shows, please visit our YouTube channel, Fatheads TV. This has been a production of Fathead Studios. Please remember to subscribe.